0: Good morning, One Church. Y'all had a good morning so far? Fantastic. My name's Chris, and uh, we're smack Nab in the middle of a series called Momentum. We talked about last week that many times we get stuck when we ask those why questions. So many times when we have struggles, when we have problems in our life, we ask the questions, why God? God, why did you do this? God, why did he leave? God, why did she pass away? God, why, why? Why? And many times when we ask those why questions, we can get stuck in our relationship with God because when we ask those why questions, they just really bring up more questions. Well, God, if if he did answer them, if he really did answer those why questions, we would just have more questions. Really, a better question we talked about last week is who. That when those difficult times show up, who are we going to trust? Who are we going to put our faith in? That's what we're talking about with this series called Momentum because many of us, we get stuck. We get stuck, we get in a rut, and we just spiritually, we just kind of put it in neutral. So it's my prayer that during this series that you would kick it into overdrive and that God would be able to propel you forward and to give you some momentum. got an email this week. This email came from uh, Mo at burningbush.com. This is what it says. Hey, Chris, my name is Moses. Heard you guys were doing a series on me, so I wanted to share my story with you. Here's how it all started for me. I was born in a very hostile environment. I was kind of a basket case from the very beginning. I was born at a time and a place when my life and my people were in constant jeopardy. When I was just three months old, my mom, out of good intentions, thought the best thing she could do for me was to abandon me. Well, not really abandon me. Actually, she did, but she loved me. It's kind of a long story. She put me in a little basket and stuck me in the river close to the spot where the daughter of Pharaoh was known to bathe from time to time. Well, this princess spots me, has compassion for me, and she sends my sister, who just happens to be standing close by, to find a nurse of our own race to nurse me. And guess whom she found for me? My own mom. Now, looking back, I can see how much my mom really loved me and how smart she was. I mean, she was an extraordinary woman. I can see the hand of God involved in all of that now, both the big and the small. But at the time, it was just flat out confusing. The person who adopted me was not of my people. She was ethnically, racially, and religiously very different than me. She named me Moses, which means drew him out of the river. So I, Mr. Found Me in the River, spent the first 40 years of my life never really belonging with the people that raised me. I was different from them. They knew I was different, I knew I was different. I didn't fit in. I wasn't like the other kids. I was part royalty, part slave. For the first 40 years of my life, I just never felt like I fit in. And as a result, well I, I guess I got a little dinged, a little wounded. Ended up dealing with a lot of kinds of anger issues and security issues. Hope my story might help someone here at One Church. Please please feel free to use it anytime later. Mo You know, the cool thing about Moses, that many of us, when we think of Moses, we think of a Cecil B. DeMille movie and Charlton Heston and Let My People Go. And many times we think we put him on this pedestal and we elevate him so high where he's like part superhero, part prince of Egypt, part strong deliverer, part spiritual giant. And the thing of it is, yeah, he was some of that, but he wasn't any of that from time to time. He was a guy just like you and just like me. He had his struggles. He got angry. He got frustrated. He felt alone. He felt misunderstood. He had trouble connecting with people we're going to see today. So I, I want us to just be able to take Moses down off the shelf for a little bit, down off the pedestal that you and I put him on, and let's bring him down so we're face-to-face with him. Because it's there that we can relate to him. And we can relate to a God who uses ordinary people for extraordinary things. That's where we're going to be going today. Now, here's something cool. We're going to be in Exodus chapters 2 and 3 today and Acts chapter 7. So if you have your Bibles or if you have your YouVersion app, you can go ahead and start clicking on that and go to the live events. This is what's really cool. Last week... We looked at Exodus chapters 1 and chapter 2. Now, this is interesting. Exodus chapters 1 and 2 cover 400 years. Everybody say 400 years. <clears throat> 400 years. Now, this is neat. Exodus chapter 3, all the way through Exodus chapter 40, covers one year. Isn't that something? I mean, how two chapters can cover 400 and then 37 ca- chapters cover one. Life is kind of like that. And sometimes time is kind of like that. Sometimes you can look back in your life and you're like, man, where did that go? That 10 years went like that. And then you got one year that feels like it goes on forever, right? That's exactly right. And that's what we're getting ready to see with Moses. I mean, this one year feels like it takes a thousand years to get through. Because it's this in, in this one year that he struggles and he does something stupid. Because Moses is a guy just like you and me. Now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do the Cliff Notes version of this story. So I want you to first turn to Acts chapter 7. In Acts chapter 7, we got this guy by the name of Stephen preaching. And he's preaching this sermon. And he goes all the way back to the very beginning. He talks about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. And then in Acts chapter 7, verse 18, as he's preaching this sermon, he talks about Moses. Let's turn there and let's look at this. It says this. But then a new king came to the throne of Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph. This king exploited our people and oppressed them, forcing them, a parents, to abandon their newborn baby so they would die. At that time, who, was it say? Moses was born, a beautiful child in God's eyes. His parents cared for him at home for three months. When they had to abandon him, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and raised him as her own son. Moses was taught, All the wisdom of the Egyptians. All the wisdom. Look at that. And he was powerful in both speech and action. The first 40 years of Moses' life, he was somebody. He grew up and he was an adopted child of Pharaoh. In fact, this guy, he got to hang out at Pharaoh's court. He got to eat at Pharaoh's table. He got all of the things. I mean, he got his complimentary BMW chariot that they kind of hung out around Egypt, all right? Uh, He uh, got—he was raised in all of the private schools of Egypt. He went to the University of Ra, and he got summa cum laude there. I mean, he was amazing. All the while, the people that he knew he was related to were working themselves to the bone seven days a week from seven in the morning to nine at night. He knew he didn't fit in. He knew that he was one of them. Yet he was hanging out with. He was learning to walk like an Egyptian. Right. <clears throat> Sorry. Anyway, he knew he was different. And look at what it says in Acts chapter seven, verse twenty-three. It says, "One day, when Moses was, what does it say? How many of y'all forty years old?" Let me see hands. I turned 40 last year. There's like two people in here over 40. Thank you. All right? Um, I don't know. Something strange can happen when you turn 40. All right? Moses, when he turned 40, he says, you know what? Now's the time. He's going to start connecting and having real life and real community with his own people. So when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his relatives, the people of Israel. All right? So he goes and he's hanging out with His own people. Verse 24. He saw an Egyptian mistreating an Israelite. So Moses came to the man's defense and avenged him, killing the Egyptian. Now we're going to stop right here. Very, very important. Moses had really good intentions. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and read verse 25. It says, Moses assumed his fellow Israelites would realize that God had sent him to rescue them, but they didn't. See, Moses had this calling on his life. He knew somehow that he was special and that he was called to deliver God's people from bondage. He had great intentions. The problem is he didn't do it God's way and he didn't wait on God's timing. And when we choose to have good intentions but do the wrong action, that never leads to anywhere good. You hear what I'm saying? You see, some of you, this is what you're struggling with. I know, you know what? I'm going to do this bad thing, but my intention behind it's good. Eh. God will not honor that. And He doesn't honor what Moses does here. I mean, Moses kills a man, He kills a man, He kills an Egyptian. And he hides the body in the sand. And there he's thinking, okay, these, the, my people, they're going to realize I'm here to rescue them. Now, here's, this is very, very important. This is not our big idea today, but it's something that I've learned in ministry. Why did his own people not follow Moses' lead? I mean, think about it. Up to this point for the past 40 years, he is an Israelite, but he's not hanging with the Israelites. What is he doing? He is hanging out with Egyptians, right? He's going to Egyptian schools, learning about Egyptian religion, going to all of this Egyptians to eat Egyptian food, while his own people are being persecuted. And then he comes in saying, Hey, look at me. All right? I am your rescuer. Let me and they didn't buy it. The Israelites, his own people, said, We ain't following you. And this is a huge point here. Let me tell you life in ministry is all about relationships. It's just a fact. The reason why they didn't follow Moses is because they didn't know Moses and Moses didn't know them. One of the things I've learned in over 25 years of ministry is simply this. That ministry is all about relationships. You hear what I'm saying? It's all about relationships. People don't care how good you preach. People don't care how great the music is. They want to know, do you really care about me? That's the fact. And some of you, let me say, how many of y'all have teenagers in here? Let me see your hands. Let me tell you, it's all about relationships. And let me tell you the reason why. see, up to this point, things have been going great. And then your kid becomes a teenager and then they get all whacked out. You know what I'm saying? It's like, are you smoking crack? What is wrong with you? Right? All right. Now, let me tell you what's happening. Up to this point, you have had a good relationship with them. But something's happening with them. Something's happening with you. And they're wanting their independence. They're wanting to push away. That's the reason why it's 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 even more important now to build those relationships because without relationships, rules will equal rebellion. You have a relationship and you have a rule, you're not going to have rebellion. But let me tell you, rules without relationships equals rebellion. It's that it's that clear. You know, I just it's one of these things. Your 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 kids, especially your teenagers. You know, you you make you can have all the right answers for them. But if you don't have a good relationship with them, they won't listen to you. And it's the same way with anyone. That's what happened with Moses. He had no relationship with these people. And they didn't follow him. Look at what it says, verse 26, verse 27. Acts 7 says, The next day he visited them again, and he saw two men of Israel fighting. He tried to be a peacemaker. He said, Men, you are brothers. Why are you fighting each other? But the man in the wrong pushed Moses aside, and he said something. This is interesting. You know, usually when somebody's wrong in a fight or in a situation, you know what happens? They buck up more. They get louder. They yell. They get more defensive. They become on attack. They become like a bulldog. That's exactly what happened with this Israelite. He knew he was wrong, so he goes on the attack. Let me ask you, when you get into conflict, do you attack? It's probably because you know that you're wrong. Keep on moving. All right? He he pushed Moses aside. He says, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you going to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? Uh Uh-oh. I mean, he thought nobody saw it. He thought he hid the body good, but the body's now been found. And he, Moses, realized he's running for his life. He's a marked man. Everybody knows he's a murderer. So verse 29, when Moses heard that, he fled the country and lived as a, what is that next word? Everybody say foreigner. foreigner. Now foreigner, you're immediately thinking of an 80s band. I know that, all right? <laughs> we're going to talk about this Hebrew word foreigner here in a minute. He lived as a foreigner in the land of Midian. There his two sons were born. Let me tell you what happens. Is my boy Mo. All right, what happens is he, he runs in fear of his life. I think he's running because he doesn't want to get killed. He's killed that Egyptian. But he's also running because he doesn't have anywhere to belong. He's, he really can't hang out with the Egyptians now. He's done killed one of them. And he, he realizes he doesn't really fit with his own people. He is a man without a country. He literally is in no man's land. And he lives, he moves to Midian, and he becomes a foreigner. The Hebrew word for foreigner literally means I don't belong here. So there in Midian, he meets this guy by the name of Jethro, who has seven daughters. And he marries one of Jethro's daughters named Zipporah. And there they have two kids. That's what it says here. And interestingly enough, one of the kids' names, you know what he called one of the kids? Foreigner. I mean, how, I mean listen to how wounded this. I mean, imagine going to Moses' like family get-together. And this is the intro. Hi, my name is found me in the river. This is my son. I don't belong here. Right? I mean, this guy is really wounded. He's got a pass. He's got a lot of junk in the trunk. Right? I mean, he's just, and let me tell you, hurt. He's just hurt. He's damaged. He's dinged. But look at what it says in verse 30. It says this. Forty years later in the desert. Let's all say that. Forty years later in the desert. He has been living in the desert for how long? Forty years. Now think through that, guys. Living as a foreigner. Let me teach you a couple of Hebrew words today. The word desert is the word midbar. Everybody say midbar. That's the Hebrew word for desert. And let me tell you where we get that word from. We get the word midbar. It comes from a Hebrew word called dabar. Everybody say dabar. Not dabam. But dabar. And dabar means to speak. I'm going to say that one more time. Hebrew word midbar comes from the word dabar, which means to speak. What am I saying here? That the desert is the place where God speaks to us. It's where he communicates some of his most important and clearest messages to us. Our big idea today is this. Don't shortcut the desert because that's the place where God speaks. Don't shortcut the desert. That's the place where God speaks. Apart from a desert experience, you and I might live our lives without ever hearing and knowing what the God of the universe desires to tell us. The desert, that lonely place where you find yourself all alone, stripped of all things of comfort, where it's so quiet that you can hear your pulse pound in your ears. That's the place where you hear God. You hear me, I'm not just talking about like the desert like the Mojave or the Sahara or Midian. Some of you, you're in a desert right now, right where you're sitting. You're in a desert because you have a spouse who's deployed, whom you're really secretly, you're not wanting him to come home. Because you don't know whether or not this relationship will continue. Others of you, you're in a desert because you have a kid, you have a child, Who's just running far away from you? Others, you're in a desert because when you get home today, you're gonna to be coming home alone to an empty house. Because your spouse has checked out on you. Others, you're gonna be you're in a desert because you have been trying to get pregnant. And at the end of the month, you receive the bad news. You're not. I mean, you're in a desert. You're in that cracked, parched area where it's just lonely. And you're crying out to God. And you feel like you've been there for years. Moses was in this desert for 40 years. But hear me it's in the desert where we can hear God speak the clearest. That's key. Listen to what happens to Moses. That's exactly what happens. He's in the desert. He hears God speaks. Verse 30 and 31. Forty years later in the desert near Mount Sinai. And I'm going to stop right there. Mount Sinai, we're going to learn here in the next couple of weeks, that's where he's going to meet God. That's where in a few years, he's going to come back and actually just, excuse me, a few months, he's going to be there and he's going to be talking to God like face to face, like a friend talks with a friend. I mean, what's amazing is that this place, he doesn't know it yet. But it's this place where he is going to really connect with God. And how is that going to happen? Because he is connected with him earlier in the desert. Look, at I'm going to keep on reading. Desert near Mount Sinai, an angel appeared to Moses in the flame of a burning bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. When he went to take a closer look, the voice of who? The voice of the Lord called out to him. He, the Lord called out while he was in the desert. Midbar, Dubar. When we are in the desert, that's when we hear God speak the clearest. Moses heard God in the desert, and it took God removing the distractions of Egypt. It took God just peeling away all of the stuff and all of the labels and all of the titles he had and the uppity stuff that he learned in Egypt. Those first 40 years in Egypt, he thought he was somebody. He went to all the schools and everybody said, You are somebody. You live as somebody. And the next 40 years as he's in the desert, God is showing him that he's a nobody. That he is not God's gift to God's people. That he is not the one whom the universe and the stars revolve around. He was learning his place with God. Now, here's what's interesting. Moses' life can be broken up into three 40-year sections, which means he died when he was 120 years old. Thank you, public school education. First 40, he thought he was somebody. Second 40, he's spending it in the desert. He's learning that he's nobody. In the last 40 years of Moses' life, Moses learns this simple lesson. That God can take nobodies and make them somebody. That God can take people and fill them up as long as they're empty of themselves. Because Moses, we read later in the Bible, he was the most humble man who ever lived. That God can use people like that. Even if they've killed somebody. Even if they've jacked up their life. Even when they realize, you know what, I've done... I've, it's over. It's never over if you humble yourself and you turn yourself back to God. It's never over. I'm telling you, the desert is where God reveals your strengths, your weaknesses, your character, and it gets you ready to be used by God in a way that you can never even imagine. That's where Moses is at. Now, I want to read you just a quick quote from J. Oswald Sanders, and he says this about desert. God is anxious that his children get a good education. Every man he has used has had a course in the University of of the Desert. We call it Desert U, a desert training. Joseph... Moses, Elijah, John the Baptist, Paul, and yes, even Jesus. These are a few of the distinguished graduates. The fees are large, the course is severely high, the discipline exacting, and many don't keep it up and drop out. But the mark results, if you graduate from Desert U, are perspective, steady nerves, keen eyesight and insight, utter dependence upon God, utter independence of man. Childlike simplicity, warmth, sympathy, deep humility, and the highest award goes to patience. The rarest trait of all. God has no shortcuts in his desert training program. Don't shortcut the desert. Because that's where you and I hear God the clearest. Now if we could break up desert you. If we could break this up. The first year, if this is a four-year course, the first year would be obscurity one-on-one because that's what Moses learns. Look at what it says in Exodus three one. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. By the way, he was tending whose flock? Does Moses even own his own sheep? No, <laughs> he doesn't own his own sheep. Right? And the priest of me, he leads the flock to the far side of the desert. He's just not in the middle of the desert. He's on the far side of the desert and he comes to hoard the mountain of god i mean you're talking about a career shift right here's the prince of egypt who's now the prince of sheep i mean he's went from dining with heads of state to eating and smelling like sheep urine some of you going that's nasty you're right absolutely you're right Absolutely. And there's this downward mobility because, and there's a point here, the reason why God sends us in the desert is so that, yes, we can hear from him, but so that we can be poured out so that he can fill us up with himself, so that we can be humble. God doesn't use proud people. He doesn't use proud people. He uses people who are full of God, not full of themselves. That is a career shift. When the props are taken away, when you begin to discover who you really are, that's what obscurity does. It's a wonderful way of taking you from who's who to who am I? To really start looking deep down within yourself. That's what obscurity one-on-one does. Well, the second year in Desert U, Moses takes another course called the practimum of discomfort. And nobody likes taking this. I mean, nobody likes being uncomfortable, right? But let me tell you, a principle that I learned a long time ago, God never calls people to comfort. You show me one person in the Bible where God takes... I just want to make you more comfortable, honey. Never. I mean, He likes making people uncomfortable. And the reason why is because that's where you get in the place where you are put in dependence on Him and where God can use you. Where you're not full of yourself and you're full of Himself. It is discomfort. I mean... I like country music. Some of you hate it, but I like it. Garth Brooks. Y'all remember the song, The Dance? Here's part of the lyrics from The Dance. He says, I could have missed the pain, but I'd have had to miss the dance. Moses went through all the discomforts in the desert, and because of of that pain, he got to dance with God. I think that's key. The third year, Moses gets a curriculum in time management because he gets it for a long time, 40 years. I mean, that's a long time. I mean, when you're on a trip, and you got small kids, and you're driving somewhere, what's one of the things that you hate when they keep on asking you? Praise Jesus, right? Daddy, are we there yet? Mama, are we there yet? You say that again, I'm going to pull this car over, and I'm going to freak out, right? But think about this. God uses Moses... The past 40 years, he's been in a desert. Don't you think God gave him the skills and everything that he needed? So for the next 40 years, when Israelites were wandering in the wilderness and they're asking, Moses, are we there yet? I mean, that's where Moses learned patience. That's where Moses learned wilderness survival in the desert and being able to hang out with 2 million Israelites and lead them to the desert because for the past 40 years, he's been in a desert himself. That's so key. And let me tell you, thank you, God. Maybe the reason why God has got you in a desert is so that he can help lead somebody else in a desert. You see, maybe the reason why you messed up and God didn't cause you to mess up, but you chose dumb things. I mean, that's what Moses did, right? He chose to kill somebody. It wasn't God's plan. It was his. That forced him into the desert. But he learned in those 40 years being in the desert. And guess what? What he learned there, he eventually came back around and he led people through that same desert. Some of you, you have made bad choices when it comes to sexual things and you're not putting up boundaries. You, some of you, you've done some really things, you've made some bad choices when it comes to your finances. You made some bad choices when it comes to picking a spouse or leaving a spouse, all of that. And the reason why maybe all of that happened, God didn't cause it, you caused it, but God can use it. And he can help you direct other people through that same pain, that same desert. He can use you. He's not giving up on you. You can still be used by God. All you got to do is humble yourself. It's in the desert that we hear God speak the clearest. All right. James 1, 2 through 4. This is so poignant. Listen to what Eugene Peterson, how he says this in the messages. He says this. Consider it a sheer gift. <laughs> friends when tests and challenges come from you at all sides all right time out i'm deucing on that one a gift seriously that's if that's a gift i don't want that but that's what james is saying he says no consider the gift when challenges and tests come to you at all sides why you know that under pressure something's going to happen in here your faith-like life is forced into the open and shows its true colors so don't try to get out of the out of it prematurely he's saying don't cut class and desert you don't take a shortcut let it do its work so that you become what does it say mature and well developed not deficient in any way he's saying don't shortcut the desert all right the last one Last year, fourth year, Solitude 401. And let me tell you, this is where God, he takes all leaders through solitude. Every one of them. A.W. Tozer says it like this. It's doubtful that God can use anybody greatly until he's hurt them deeply. That may not sit well with you, but it's only through those times where we get emptied of ourself and we get full of himself That God can use us for other people. That God can use us. And that happens through solitude. He speaks to Moses after 40 years being in a desert. And he does it through a burning bush. Look look at what it says in verse 4 and 5 of Exodus 3. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called out from him in the middle of the bush. Moses, Moses. Here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. Now, there's a, lot, a couple of things going on here that I want to dive into. I don't have a lot of time. The first one is simply this. The bush is there, and it's burning. Listen, it's burning, and it ain't the bush. It's like the fire's going, but the bush ain't burning up. All right? And I think that's representative of God's nature. God, God's nature, it's inextinguishable. I mean, it, he doesn't have a mom. God's always been. See, you and I, we have moms. We have dads. He doesn't need anybody. God created people not because he needed anything. He is self-sustaining like this bush that's burning without really burning. That is amazing. And he says, not on the far side of the desert, 40 years, I want you to take off your sandals. Now, that's the second thing, is this. In in Hebrew culture, when something is holy, it's always covered. When something is honorable, it's covered. That's the reason why ladies, they cover their faces in the Middle East. Here's something. Even to this day, Jews, when they're passing portions of the Bible, like the Torah, which is the first five books of Moses, they have these scrolls. When they pass them, it's always covered. Why? Because if something is holy, it's always covered. And yet, God is saying, you're on holy ground, so I want you to take your, your shoes off. That's what he's saying. Now, hear me. You would think with this mindset, he's saying, you know what? It's holy ground. You need to put some socks on, three pairs of socks, some boots, and some of those hot booties that you can get for $19.95 if you just call now. You know, I mean, that, that's what I would think God would say. But he says, no, I want you to take your shoes off. You're on holy ground. It's like God's saying... I want you to get skin on skin with me. I don't want there to be anything between you and me. I, I want to touch you. I want to have this intimate relationship with you that's skin on skin. Do you know you have a God of the universe who desires to have an intimate relationship with you? An intimate, personal relationship with you. Skin on skin. That's what God is saying through this. Look at what it says in verse 7 and 8. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of the harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering, so I have come down to rescue them. Who's going to do the rescuing? God. That's right. Very good. Thank you. God's doing the rescuing. I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. He's saying, Moses, I'm getting ready to move, Joker. Get ready. He says at 9 and 10, Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, God says, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. Now, here's your part. You go. Now listen, who's going to do the rescuing? God. What's Moses supposed to do? Go. God rescues Moses, goes. Go, for I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people out of Egypt. And here's where Moses goes, um, excuse me, time out. Can I call an audible? Uh, Great plan, God. You got the wrong dude. I'm sorry. You know, uh, 40 years ago, I killed a dude. Did you know that? I I didn't really put that on my resume. I kind of fudged that out. And I'm I'm living as a foreigner, you know. And I'm I'm tending not even my own sheep, but somebody else's sheep, and I'm nobody. And God says, exactly, you are no one. And because you have realized that, I can use you. And okay, I I, I killed somebody, and I, I I I had this speaking problem. stutter a lot. And God goes, I'm thinking seriously, I think God hit his forehead. I'm like, oh my gosh. God says this. He says, who made your mouth? Who made you? Who made your eyes? Who got you rescued when you were just a little boy? I mean, so many times I feel like that's exactly what we give God excuses. And God's going, listen, I'm not telling you, you got to rescue him. I'm going to be the one rescuing them. All you got to do is show up. Y'all know what I'm saying? One of my mentors in seminary, Chuck Swindoll, he used to say this. He says, 99% of ministry is just showing up. That's true. All you got to do is go like this. Seriously. And God does the rest. That happens to me all the time. Somebody come and say, Chris, I loved what you said today. And when you said this, and they'll tell me what I said. And I'm like, I didn't say that. I must be a really bad communicator. I didn't say that at all. But you know what? They heard that. I didn't say it because all I did was show up. God wants to use humble people who aren't full of themselves and so that God can fill them up even when they've been through the desert because that's when we can hear God the clearest. And look at this verse. I love this. This is so cool. But Moses protested in verse 13. Look at this. But Moses protested to God. Um... I'll go one more if you would. There you go. But Moses protested, if I go. Don't you like those? I mean, this is really non committal right here. Here's Moses, you know, let my people. He said, okay, God, let's play this for a I'll play along. What if I do this? How many have ever done that with God? God, I might do that. I might. No, 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 no. You know, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what's his name? What's his name? Then what should I tell them? And listen to what God says. Verse 14, one of the best verses of the Bible. He says, God replied to Moses. What did he say? I am who I am. Now let me tell you this. The words I am who I am. Those those letters spelled this word. Y-H-W-H. Yahweh. It is the most holy name found in the Bible. In fact, Jews to this day will never say that name because of honor and reverence. That Yahweh, we get it from I am who I am. In fact, every time you read your Bible and the word Lord is capitalized, that's it, Yahweh. That's his name. Now, this is so cool. He says, I am. I like that because I feel like when we come to church, you know, you've seen the the name tag that says I am with the blank and you put your name in it. What we need to do when we come to church is we need to say I am not. Because we're not am. I mean, think about this. God says I am. I am everything that you have, everything that you will need. I am present. I will be present in your circumstances. There is no I was. I was he's always been there is no I will be because he will always be he exists apart from time he is I am and that if that means if he is then we are not he is transcendent you are not he is in control you are not he is in control of your marriage and your husband that means woman you are not you hear what I'm saying I can reverse that too All right, y'all want me to reverse it don't you all right, because I ain't sitting well with some of y'all ladies. All right, all want right, y'all gonna get me preaching. Anyway, all right, I'm gonna. Okay, that means guy, he's in control of your woman. You are not. Does anybody want to agree with me? All right, thank you very much. All right, that means he is calling the shots. He has a plan, and you don't have the plan. He is. I am not. And that's what you and I are. That's the picture that we play. And Moses, he banters with God. He gives excuses with God. And ultimately, he gives in to God. Because when you argue with God, you ain't going to win. Right? You're not going to win. God says, Moses, I've chosen you. I've chosen you by grace. You have been accepted. And that's all that matters. Oh, you got a past. You killed somebody. That's okay. I know where the bodies are. I still chose you. I still chose you. Let me tell you, man, woman... Teenager, God has chosen you. God has a plan for your life. He wants to use you in great ways. But in order for you to listen to him, he's got to take you through some desert. And there's going to be some times where you're going to get uncomfortable. You're going to feel obscure. You're going to feel like you don't have it all together. And that you're not all that. And that means you've graduated. Because God cannot use somebody who's full of himself. He cannot. He will not. And some of you, you think God has written you off. And let me tell you, you would be 100% wrong. You may have gotten through a divorce and you may have left the ministry. God can still use you because he's the God of the second chance. He's the God of the third chance, of the 1,469th chance. He will use you. And for some of you, as we close today, and I want to close with just this really great verse, Exodus 4.20. After all of the excuses, Moses says this. So Moses took his wife and sons and put them on a donkey and started back to Egypt. And he took the staff of God in his hand. Finally, Moses got to the end of himself and he said, you know what? It's about you. It's not about me. It's about you, God, and how you speak. It's not whether I stutter or not. And some of you, let me tell you, Some of you are like, Chris, okay, I get this. I think, you know, this may be my burning bush experience type of thing. But what happens when I go back to that house and it's just a big old empty house and he's not there? What's going to happen then? God says, I am with you. For others, of you're like, I I don't know if I'm going to be able to, I don't know whether or not I'm going to be able to stay in my current job. I don't know whether or not they're going to keep me. You need to hear God say, I am with you. Others, you're like, you know, I just, I, I did this wrong and I, and I kind of checked out on this and I did this something stupid and I don't think, I don't think God wants me anymore. And God says, no, 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 I am your father. You are my child. God wants to be I am to you. He wants to be all there present with you. He wants to be present with you. But many times he takes us through those deserts so that we can hear him clearly. I want everybody to bow your heads for a second. We're going to pray here in just a second, but I want you to bow your heads and I want you to close your eyes. And I don't want you looking around just because many times it's when we look around, we get distracted. I pray right now that we would be able to focus on what God is trying to tell us. I just want us to wrap up this time by taking off our shoes. And maybe some of you even need to do that physically. You just need to take them off and get skin on skin with God. Let me just ask you, with nobody looking around. Do you feel like you're in the desert right now? If so, what, what has God been teaching you? What has he been teaching about yourself? About himself? Do you feel stuck these days? Do you need some momentum? Are you paralyzed with guilt or with regret? You wish that had never happened? You wish that night would have never, ever happened? If you wouldn't have just went that far. Wish you could just do it all over again. What you're afraid of. What lies you've been telling yourself. What excuses you've been offering to God. Right now in the silence, can you hear God speaking to you? Not my voice, but that small voice inside of you. Because if you're in a desert, God speaks the loudest in the desert. For Some of you, he's saying, come on. I'm talking to you. I'm taking you. It's a new day. Take my hand. Walk out of this desert with me. That is where you will hear me the clearest. I want to use you right now. I will give you the energy. I will give you the wisdom. I will give you the strength because I am. I just want to be with you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for using ordinary people like Moses. Thumbing through the pages of the Bible, God, we come upon so many just men and women Just like us who land ourselves in the desert of failure. And God, that's where you teach us. That's where you dust us off and stretch us. And you say, come on, I'm going to use you now. God, it's our prayer that we would hear you speak during the series. That every day, every day as we're in your word, as we're reading through the book of Exodus, God, and we're looking at your servant, Moses, God, as we're writing our prayers and journaling to you, Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would be able to use these burning bush moments, maybe even right now, is a burning bush moment for some of us, God. Lord, that we would get skin on skin with you. Lord, that we would follow you. God, I pray that you would allow us to humble ourselves to pour ourselves out so that you can fill us up with yourself. Lord, that you would allow yourself to be present in our deserts, in our experiences, in our, our lives because you are I am. God, we love you. And Lord, as this service is getting ready to close and we're getting ready to step out of this room we're going to be challenged. We're going to have tests. People are going to come at us. when I pray that as we read in the book of James, that our inside of our faith life would be able to push itself out and that you would be exhibit A. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.